0: Well, decorating and preparing for Christmas can be a lot of fun, but it can also produce a lot of anxiety, especially if we, not are, if we are not preparing ourselves appropriately. Our children, when they were little, they used to make these uh, paper chains for the Christmas tree. Do you know what I'm talking about, those things? Yeah. And um, you know, they're lots of fun. The kids have fun making them. and and these these paper chains had two purposes. One, the purpose of these chains served to be a decoration, but the chains kept getting smaller and smaller every day, and it wasn't because of the cats. Some thought maybe because of the cats, but no. Uh, they, They got smaller every day because of the second purpose was to let us know how many more days it was until Christmas. And if I counted right, which i may not have. Uh, There are only 14 more days until Christmas. Only two weeks away. Two weeks away. I can't wait. But there are some of us, mostly parents, who are not yet ready. 14 days is not nearly enough time. But then there's the children. For 14 days, That seems like an eternity. 14 days? That's too long. If the children are anything like I was at their age, they just could not wait. It seemed as if Christmas would never come soon enough. I couldn't wait to open up my gifts like some of the children were talking about earlier. Well, in the days of the prophet Micah, the people didn't know it, but the first Christmas was going to be 700 years away for them. That's a long time to wait. Can you imagine having to wait 700 years to come? That would be long. We'll we'll be looking at the book of Micah this morning, written around 700 B.C., and I ask you please open up your Bibles with me or one of the church Bibles to Micah chapter 5. This is found on page 927 in the church Bibles. Micah is found right after Jonah and before Nahum. Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. And I would ask that you please follow along as I read. This is God's holy, infallible, life-giving, and life-changing word. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will rise. He will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty. Of the name of the Lord is God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing and obeying of His Holy Word. Would you please pray with me? Father God, we come before you this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to listen to your spirit as we hear the word of God preached. We pray, Lord, that. You would bless us this morning. We pray, Lord, that nothing would distract us this morning from this message. Lord, that you would be given glory through it all, that you would seek to transform our lives, that we may know you better. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, this book of Micah was written for several groups of people. First, it was written for Micah's contemporaries, those who lived among Micah in his days. Second, it was written to those who were anticipating that first Christmas, the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah. And lastly, Micah is written for us today. I want us to first look at what Micah had to say to his contemporaries, and we need to know just a little bit more about the context surrounding our passage today. Sometimes we pull these verses out at Christmas time, we don't really know what's going on. Um, looking at Micah chapter 1, we see that uh, uh, Micah was a, a prophet during the reigns of, of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. These were kings of Judah, and it was during the reigns of these kings that we see. Uh, the dominant nation of Assyria was overpowering the divided kingdoms of Israel to the north and Judah in the south. God being a, a holy and righteous God, he was not pleased with his people or their kings. And God had Micah preach messages of judgment because of their evil practices. As part of the covenant that God made with his people, he promised blessings upon their obedience and curses accompanied their disobedience. God had allowed the unbelieving nation of Assyria to take Israel captive in order to show the wrath of God's righteousness. Micah was proclaiming to the people of Judah that Israel had been wallowing in their sin long enough, and now Judah was doing the same things. Micah was not so much pointing the finger at the people, although they were just as guilty. Micah, in the name of God, was accusing the false prophets and the lying priests and the evil kings who were representing the people of Judah and Israel. We see that Micah's warning us today and them was warning them about evil kings. Micah was warning about evil kings. He proclaimed to the people of Judah in Micah chapter 5, verse 1, just a verse earlier than what we read earlier, that they had better rally up whatever troops they had because this evil king, Sennacherib, and his Assyrian army were about to come in and annihilate the people and the land. And it it may sound similar to something going on even today in our our lives. We have this this evil, quote-unquote, king, King Putin, who he and his Russian army are trying to uh, annihilate the people of the Ukraine. Or you may think about other evil rulers and kings throughout the course of history who have done this very same thing. Micah said that the siege would be laid against them and that they would strike Israel's ruler upon the face. It would be a total humiliation. It was a discouraging time for the people in Micah's time. Israel and Judah had been placing their trust in human kings long enough, falling captive to their own sin, and now they were becoming captive to an unbelieving nation and its evil king. You may remember what had happened over and over in the days earlier in the book of Judges, and where it said, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And they suffered because of it. They had had rejected God as their king because of their sin, and they fell captive to evil earthly kings. In their rejection of God as their king, they, they wanted an earthly king to rule over them and to reign over them. They wanted to have a king like the rest of the world was having. Despite the warnings of what an earthly king would do, In their sin, they still insisted on having an earthly king rule over them, and and God allowed them to have a king. Their first king was King Saul, who ended up being an evil king himself. And after a while, God replaced Saul with an unlikely king. And so we see that in our passage that Micah not only warned them about evil kings, we see that Micah also reminded his readers about another king, an unlikely king from their past. Micah reminded them about an unlikely king from an insignificant place. The language of verse 2 had first called the people of Micah's day to took a look back at their heritage. Remember what God did for you. He said, Take a look back and see how God provided you with a good king from that insignificant place. It caused them to be reminded of that unlikely king who had a doubtful chance from the start. Remember, it was that little boy David. He was the youngest son of Jesse. And where was he from? He was from Bethlehem, Ephrathah, and Judah. If you recall the story of how David was chosen as king, the the Lord God had the prophet Samuel go to the house of Jesse, and he told Jesse that he would choose one of his sons to be the next king. And so since Saul had rejected God and, and failed as a king, God was replacing Saul with a new king. And we know that Jesse uh, brings out, he brought out all of his oldest sons before Samuel, except for little David. And as Samuel looked over all of these sons of Jesse, the obvious choice, even in Samuel's eyes, was, of course, the oldest, Jesse's firstborn, Elia. But he was tall, he was strong, he was the firstborn. He would have made a great leader, Certainly he would have been God's choice for king, yet God said the Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God had rejected each and every one of the seven sons that Jesse brought before Samuel that day. Can you imagine how confused Samuel and Jesse were? And Samuel said, are these all of your sons? And Jesse said, well, <laughs> well there, there is my youngest, but you know, he's, he's out keeping the sheep. Even Jesse didn't believe that his youngest son, David, was worthy to be chosen as king. But Jesse, at the insistence of Samuel, went and got this little boy, David. Jesse brought him before Samuel, who would then anoint him as the next very unlikely king of Israel. But even after he was anointed as the new king, things didn't change that much. He was still young. Saul was still there in charge. And it wasn't long after his anointing that this little shepherd boy was attending his father's sheep while his brothers were out at war against the Philistines and this giant named Goliath. And little David shows up at the battle line at the request of his father Jesse in order to see how his brothers were doing and also to bring them some food. And his, his big brother said, get lost. What, what are you doing here? You're too small and too insignificant to help out in any way. Yet we see that his brothers were the ones that were with the rest of the army, cowering away in fear for their lives. This little shepherd boy, however, knew something that they didn't. He knew that God had given him strength to defeat a lion and a bear while caring for his father's sheep. And David would once again depend upon the strength of the Lord to give him power to conquer Goliath and these Philistines. And so little David came as a long shot to become the unlikely king of Israel. He was the youngest son born of Jesse from the insignificant town of Bethlehem. And yet God chose David to be the best human king that Israel ever had. In our passage in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity." Micah's language here in in verse 2 not only reminded them of the former unlikely king David from their past, he was also pointing ahead to another unlikely king. God made a covenant promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God says to David, I took you, David, from the pasture, from following the sheep. You hear that? I took you from following the sheep, to be the ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. I will make you a great name like the names of the great men who are on the earth. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, and they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly." Even for from that day, I commanded the judges to be over my people, Israel, and I will give you rest from all of your enemies. The Lord also declared to you that the Lord will make a house for you, and when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, he says, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom, forever. I will establish the throne of this kingdom forever. This, this next king, it seems it's very clear they're pointing to is Solomon. He, he fulfilled that in that near time. Yet Micah was speaking of yet another king, yet another king. And although David was chosen by God to be a good king, there was also a promise of another king. Micah's promise prophecy was the promise of a better king Micah's promise of an even better king. This this promise was a proclamation of hope and deliverance in the near and the not-so-near future. Because of God's covenant faithfulness, he would deliver his people from the hand of the Assyrians and its evil king, Sennacherib. Micah, as in many of the prophecies in the Old Testament, had a dual meaning in the message— He spoke of the unlikely king David now, and we will see Micah's promise of a better king in the future. Micah proclaimed that yet this new king would be born in that same small and insignificant town of Bethlehem. Micah described the king in this way. He said this new ruler, this promise of a better king over Israel would have origins of old, even ancient times. This is Micah's proclamation of a unique king. Ma- Micah's proclamation of a unique king. This, the Hebrew better defines this uh, understanding of, of having origins of old, of ancient times, as, as one from everlasting or from eternity. Micah begins to disclose the nature of this unique king as one who had no beginning, yet who would be born in Bethlehem. they had no idea what this meant. What would this mean? A king who who had no beginning yet would be born? Micah tells us that this unique king would come from that same insignificant town of Bethlehem, Ephrathah. And he says that this too, he says it was too little, this town was too little to be among the clans of Judah. And if we look back, in scripture, we will see about the original inheritances of the, the land being divided among the clans of Judah, we'll see that Bethlehem wasn't even listed among the towns. It was there, but it just wasn't listed. You know, you might think of a very t- small town like Millborn. Millborn's pretty small, small town. I know people are living over there, and it's a good place. Sorry, folks. It's, it's, it is a real town, but it's, it's a blip on the map. Everybody knows Upper Darby. Actually, most people don't even know Upper Darby. They know Philadelphia. Look on a map. It's Philadelphia. Else, and Pittsburgh. But all these other ones are insignificant. So, even, so Bethlehem was like that. It was just a small, insignificant town. It was so small and insignificant, it wasn't listed. It, it, it didn't even make the map, so to speak. And yet, it was so significant, however, because it would be the birthplace of the new and perfect king. We have a a wonderful post-resurrection vantage point as Christians to see that Micah was, in fact, talking about God incarnate in human flesh, Jesus Christ. Micah points us to Jesus, the perfect king. Micah points us to Jesus, the perfect king. He was not only a better king and a unique king, he came as the only perfect king. All that Micah's contemporaries knew was that God made a promise to provide a unique and perfect king one day. And he is the one king who would never fail them. Saul failed them. And even as good a king as David was, he also failed them. And each and every king after that, as an earthly king, had failed because they were all sinful and they were all flawed. What Micah's contemporaries did not know was that it would be almost 700 years before that promise came, before the perfect king would come. It would be almost 700 years until that first Christmas day. Well, Micah not only spoke to his contemporaries, he spoke to the people surrounding the birth of that new king, Jesus. So forwarding ahead 700 years later, Matthew, we have the Matthew writing in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, he, he quotes our passage from the prophet Micah. And we have magi or wise men from the east. They are in search for this new promised king. For, for 700 years, people had known of what this prophet Micah had said. They said he's going to be born in Bethlehem. They didn't know when. But it says that wise men were coming in great anticipation to worship this newborn king in Bethlehem. But not everyone took Micah's message to heart. It says in Matthew chapter 2 that when there was this other king, another evil king, King Herod, heard about the Christ being born, it says that he and all Jerusalem were troubled. He gathered all of the chief priests and the teachers of the law and demanded that they tell him where the Christ was to be born. He said he, wouldn't, he said he also wanted to go and worship the king, but that's not what he wanted to do. And whenever I read this passage, I'm always surprised that these chief priests and these teachers of the law, they, they knew the answer. They knew the scriptures. They, they had God's word. They, they had read the prophet Micah as well as other scriptures and knew that the Christ, the promised Messiah King, was to be born in this small, insignificant town of Bethlehem. And as we look at these religious people, these chief priests and teachers of the law, we see that they knew the answer about where the Messiah King was to be born. But they did not understand who this Messiah King really was. This is like we are in today's... Culture. Many people know about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. They know he was some guy, but they don't know who Jesus really was. They, they were not searching intently for the Christ child like these wise men did. We see that Herod's response to Micah's prophecy was certainly the most extreme. Not only was he troubled by the news, we see that uh, he was actually threatened by this newborn baby king as well. How could a boy, a little baby boy, be a threat. He was so threatened that he gave the order to have all the babies two years and younger killed who were in the Bethlehem and surrounding area. Yet that would not thwart God's plan. We see that God protected this unique king born in an unlikely place 700 years after Micah's prophecy. Micah's message was for his contemporaries, it was for those surrounding his birth, and it is for those of us today. We, we have, again, the advantage of living in a post-apostolic age. We are able to see that Micah's prophecy was ultimately fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ, our perfect king, but what else do these verses in Micah have for us to know? The words penned by Micah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, should serve to remind us that we are not to be putting our trust in earthly kings, in earthly kings who will lead us away from God and to trust in things contrary to his will. Now, those of us here in the United States of America, we do not live in a monarchy. Um, my, my daughter is in Thailand. She's living under the king of Thailand. Much different. However, we do live in an age like any other age which replaces King Jesus with other so-called kings in our lives. Other kings are are those things that rule our lives instead of King Jesus. We take King Jesus off the throne and we put other things on it. Many of us, especially at Christmas time, we we get tempted by these other so-called kings in our lives. Often it is the king of selfishness. Comes up right away, I mean we got to buy lots of things, right? We have to buy things we don't need. And then there's the the king of covetousness, which tries us to get the things that our neighbors have or our friends have. Keep up with the Joneses. The king of being a man pleaser, perhaps, gets on the throne rather than a God pleaser can be when we feel obliged to give gifts to those who gave gifts to us. You know, we... (laughs) We just talked about the other day. Oh, we got a Christmas card from so-and-so. We better get a Christmas card to them. <laughs> you know, Or you know, or your brother's giving us a Christmas gift this year. We better give him one. That's not how it's supposed to be or what it's supposed to be about. There are a lot of things that these kings can be in our lives. When we, we take Jesus off the throne and we put these other kings in, it's any sin which captivates our heart and causes us to take Jesus off the throne and replace him with something else. You know what those things are in your own lives. Micah's words should teach us that earthly kings fail. We're not going to be satisfied in things. Whatever the things that we are wanting, they're searching after or trying to buy or whatever, we're not going to be satisfied It was Israel who replaced God as their king, asking for an earthly king. The the kings of Israel and Judah had failed because they were selfish and they were sinful. God allowed these kings in order to show us our need for King Jesus. The only king who is selfless and sinless. God provided us with a king who was not temporary, but had his origins from of old, from all eternity God gave us a king who would triumph over all of our enemies and would never fail. Micah's words should prove to us that God keeps his covenant with his people. The promise in Micah chapter 5 was that God would provide a new king born in Bethlehem, a king with a royal heritage from the line of David, but yet a moral, a more royal heritage coming from his rightful throne in heaven. And yet was born. Not as a king should have been born, but born in that small and insignificant town of Bethlehem in a barn. The promise of Micah didn't end with the birth of King Jesus, though. The promise in verse 4 tells us that he will arise. He will take his stand as the king of kings and nothing will cause him to fall. Not even his own death. Would be able to hold King Jesus down. In the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the Lord, he, will, he would conquer sin and death and Satan as he triumphantly arose from the grave. We don't often talk about the resurrection at Christmas time, but it wasn't just about Jesus' birth, it was about his, his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Not only did he rise from the grave and stand triumphant, we see in verse four that he tells us that as our king, he would be able to he would be our shepherd. I find it interesting that he's reflecting back to David being a shepherd boy and now Jesus is that good and perfect shepherd. Reflecting back, it's to remind us of how great a shepherd David was who defeated that lion, that bear, and even the giant named Goliath in the name in the strength of the Lord. Micah points us to an even greater shepherd, Jesus Christ. He was not just a great shepherd, but the perfect shepherd who cares so much for his sheep, his people, that he willingly gave up his life to save them and to conquer sin, death, and Satan, for those who would put their trust in him as their shepherd king. In some ways, we we live in a world perhaps not all that different from the people of the days of Micah where there was much anxiety and worry and concern. They, They wanted a king who would protect them from their enemies. They were living in fear for their lives from the people of Assyria and its evil king. They were looking for security and protection, and peace. But all these things were just temporary, that the peace and protection and security that the the people were looking for would never last. What many in the world do not know is that true security and peace could only be obtained by Christ and what he has done for us. Micah tells us, is that Jesus Christ would be the perfect and sinless king who was born in that seemingly insignificant town of Bethlehem. Yet, as we look even closer, even the name of the town of Bethlehem was meant to point us to Jesus. Bethlehem in Hebrew is actually two words. Beth, or bet, meaning house, and lechem, meaning bread, and putting together Bethlehem together meant house of bread. This little town of Bethlehem in its meaning in, of its name, how it was always pointing people to Jesus because of who Jesus himself later called himself to be. He called himself the bread of life. It was the bread of life who was born in the house of bread. And so as we think about bread as food, it is considered such a staple food. A person can survive on bread for uh, a long time, bread and water. And, and when the Jews celebrate the Passover meal, unleavened bread was an essential part And when the Jews were wandering in the desert 40 years, God had provided them with manna, bread from heaven to sustain them. And then John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, it was the first day of unleavened bread as part of the Passover meal. And it says... It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after he blessed it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is for you. Jesus is the bread of life, and whoever puts his trust in him will never hunger. But Jesus says the bread of life is promising much more than, than physical food that will stain them in this life. Jesus is the bread of life that promises new and eternal life. He would be the perfect king whose reign would never cease. He would be the one who would deliver us from our sin. He would be that shepherd king who would protect us from the evil one. It says in verse 4 that he would be the one who would provide for true security and that he would be their true peace. It would be a peace that transcends all understanding. It would not be just a peace as an absence of war. It'd be a peace as in reconciliation with God alone. So as you think about what you're doing this Christmas, what are you looking for this Christmas? The chief priests and the teacher of the law, they, they knew the words of Micah, they knew the scriptures, yet they rejected Christ as their king. King Herod, he felt so threatened by Jesus that he sought to have him killed. But these wise men, these wise men, they sought after Jesus in order to worship him. It was a long time to wait for this prophecy to be fulfilled by Micah, but Jesus came to be our king. He came that we would put our trust in him. He came to save His people from his sins, from their sins. He came that we would worship him. He came that we would submit our lives to Jesus as our king. King Jesus, he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God right now. But King Jesus promises that he is coming back again. He is coming back again. We don't know when King Jesus is coming back, but we need to get ready And we need to be telling others that Jesus is coming again. The Advent season that we celebrate is usually just about four weeks. We don't know when the Advent season between now and his coming again is. We don't know whether it will be a few days before he returns, whether it's going to be a few weeks, months, or even another 700 years. We don't know. But we have a job to do, and that is to proclaim to our world that does not know Jesus that they need to be getting ready for the return of the King. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this prophet, Micah, that you have established, that you put in our Bibles, that proclaimed the coming of Lord Jesus Christ at his birth. Lord, we thank you for his life, his death, his resurrection. We thank you that we can trust in Jesus as the one true and perfect king who came to save us from our sin. We pray, Lord, you'd help us to prepare our hearts well. Help us not to get, replace King Jesus with other kings. Help us, Lord, to be ready and to tell the world that Jesus is coming again. For it's in his name that we pray, amen.